one of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Jesus, which commandment is first of all? And Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all heart and with all understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any question. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Whereas our epistle this morning identified Christ as the one who is the source of God's presence, the, the one who is more important than our sacrifices and the offerings that we might bring because of his sacrifice, what Mark wants us to hear, that Jesus is love. And it is love that is valued above all other things in our community and as followers of Christ. And when this teacher of the law approaches Jesus, he had heard Jesus arguing and doing so well. And he is, he is inspired by Jesus, it seems. And he engages the conversation and asking of all the commandments, which is the most important. And it worth, it's worth bearing again that Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no command greater than these. Now at this, the scribe in Jesus seems to have found a kindred soul. And he affirms Jesus. And he's inspired to say, yes, you're getting this exactly right. It's, it's important that there is one God, that we love one another. And this love is more important than anything that we can give. Anything that we can sacrifice. Jesus is also impressed by the man. And he returns his own accolade. And then he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But how do we hear this, though? It doesn't seem like a full-throated endorsement. Is Jesus being a bit critical and encouraging all at once? In fact, this line of questioning sounds very familiar to us, I would imagine. It sounds a little bit like the conversation Jesus had with the rich man who had lived an exemplary life, had dedicated himself to following God and doing what God had called him to do, but he lacked that one thing. You may be familiar with the phrase, close but no cigar. Well, that developed in the 1920s when carnivals and circuses traveled around and the side games that you would play, like throwing the rings on top of the bottle top, which I have never done successfully. The prize for adults in those days was a cigar. And if they would throw the ring and miss or whatever game they were playing, the, the one who ran the booth would shout out, 
close but no cigar, drawing others to come in and try. Maybe you've heard the idiom that sounds very familiar. Close only counts in hand yes, horseshoes and hand grenades. So this idea about being close but not close enough, it's, it's been an undercurrent. And it, and it flows into our story today. And one of the ripples of this undercurrent has been the message that it is not we who set the agenda, but it is Jesus who sets the agenda for us. It is the laws of Moses that set the agenda for us. So not only do we call today the rich man who lacked one thing, we recall Peter's rebuke who wanted to set the agenda. We, we remember the repetitive cycle of the disciples arguing about which is greater, misunderstanding who Jesus was, knowing he's the Messiah, but not fully getting it. Everyone seems to get it, but not fully. So it is with the scribe today. And once more, Jesus is saying, you're close, but you've got more to learn. Someone once wrote that Discipleship is, well, it's likened to a card game where one must go all in to win. But we're not talking about card games and we're not talking about carnival games. We're, we're talking about going all in with heart, soul, mind, and strength with love of God, love of neighbor as we love ourselves. And as followers of Christ, these are the cards we've been given, heart, soul, mind, and strength that must be all in from us. Last week we saw an all-in kind of faith in, in, in the man of Bartimaeus, the one who had been blind and a beggar before, who revealed to us this is what it looks like to go all in. Now I have to tell you that personally I find preaching and teaching about the topic of love to be one of the, if not the, hardest topic to to talk about. Don't get me wrong, I understand that love is not some arbitrary expectation that God has for us. It's not, it's not what God hopes of us. And the certainty that we must love is as, is as certain as gravity is, that holds us down right now for you and me as followers of Christ. Perfectly clear Jesus has made it. That this is not some hopeful expectation. This is what you're called to. Love is written into the laws. It's expected to rule our lives and to rule our relationships. And today we see Jesus and a scribe working together to agree on this very thing. Now, I don't find it difficult to convince you of this. In fact, I don't think anyone would argue that love is, to, is the key point. It's the center of what it means to be a follower of God. So why do I think that love is hard to teach then? Well, I get the sense that our understanding of love in the world, it's sometimes a little trendy. We have the ability to like our love things on social media. We have star rating systems as to whether or not this product or, or that restaurant or that place to go is, is worth our time. We measure how much we do or do not love things on, on a daily basis. Consistently rating our love of others, of things, and according to what we want. And that's how we make our choices. So there's this measure 
of love that we have grown accustomed to. That's how you trend these days, right? I want to offer that this is nothing like the kind of love that we're called to and that we find in the commandments. Love is not some rated value. It's not a choice we have to make if we're obliged by the love of law of Moses. This begins to help us see what this love looks like. So I've come across some and I've worked towards a little bit of a working definition after talking to some peer this week about, well, what do I tell folks love is? Here's my best shot. Love is our call from God with heart, mind, soul, and strength to want the best for the other. And at the same time, want the best between me and another. This is very different than affinity or our trendy kind of love. This kind of love is, is difficult. It's, it's commanded even. So how do we deal with a, a love that's commanded to us? It's our love for others because God has required it of us and, and because we understand the value of it. So I found our experience, what I think was a little bit of an idea of what this love looks like in the strangest of places this week. It happened to be at the motor vehicle offices down the road getting my real ID driver's license. I had heard of the real ID and I didn't know how involved that was. But if you're not familiar with it, it's almost like a passport and you've got to have five or maybe six different pieces of documentation proving who you are that must be approved through Homeland Security, I found out. This was my second visit because my first time there, I didn't take seriously the list that said you must have these documents. I was surely one of these will be good enough. This time I was prepared, but as I waited in line, a lot of other folks came in just like I did before. And every time the clerk would be asked to process their request, people got a little agitated and disappointed because they wouldn't help them. Consistently, ask the clerk, well, can you make an exception? I mean, I've got almost everything. And at this point, I bet the clerks could be thinking anywhere else, well, I might get a one or two star rating today because this customer is not going to walk away happy. And every time, they would simply say, I can't help you. But what I can do is give you a list of what you need. Next time you come back, I'll be able to help you, but not until I get this. Time and again, they walk away disappointed, maybe a little bit angry. And I sat down with one of the persons who had been doing this. I said, man, I've, I can only imagine how many times you've had that conversation. And she smiled and she said, yeah, of course, but you know, I can only help when I can help. I can only give them what they need when they give me what I need from them. And that answer impressed me because I thought, whoa, <laughs> This is a good lesson for life, right? Of what mutuality looks like and the ability to help one another and to, and to care for one another. She obviously wanted to be a five-star person. She did a great job for me, but she wasn't going to be that for everyone because she would not make exceptions because making exceptions would cost her her job. So the only real way she could care for people is to be sure everyone's best interest was considered even her own, even if it disappointed. Now, I know that's not the most affectionate story on love you'll ever hear. 
But love is not always warm and fuzzy. Love takes work, give and take. Love, I think, looks a lot like this. It looks like doing everything we can for each other, but without doing harm to others or ourselves. Asking or expecting someone to love us and to meet our needs, but without considering or caring how it impacts them, is not love. To love each other means we must do the hard work of living together in a way that everyone is cared for, even if we must sacrifice, disappoint, or do more work until we find loving solutions. Maybe God knew this when he told Moses that I need their love, heart, mind, soul, oh, and strength, lots of strength. (laughs) It's going to take to love this way. So can you think of those relationships, our, our circumstances, our encounters, our challenges in your life or in our world that this kind of love is sorely needed? I remember many years ago, a young man coming to my church like many had before and, and will following today. And he knocked on the door. I was there by myself and I was greeted with, do you help people? I expected more, but that was it. He kind of stopped there. So I said, well, what do you need? And he got a little agitated, I don't know with me or or with the question, and he said, well, I'm not sure. (laughs) I need a lot of things. And so he began to tell me some of his story and some of the challenges, his struggle with addiction and and having a a good place to to live and to land in life, and he didn't need rent or food or, or anything like that. And eventually I said, I'd love to help you, but let me ask you this. When you came to my door today, And you knocked on it and asked me for help. What did you expect, I'd say? He says, well, I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea what I wanted. He paused and he said, maybe I can come to your church. I went, that's a great idea. So I shared with him worship times, Sunday school times, uh, recovery group times. I had a long conversation with him. I imparted some wisdom and I prayed with him and he left and I never saw him again. And I remember the sense of feeling a little disappointed and I'm sure he felt a little disappointed because we couldn't quite get there. there. There was just too much work that needed to be done for a moment to solve. This past Wednesday, we studied the letter from Paul to Philemon to a friend of Paul in his home church. And he wrote his friend because he wanted to be sure that his servant, Onesimus, when he came home, that he'd be treated with dignity and received as a brother in Christ. Big words for a servant in those days. Now, we're not sure what Paul was concerned about, but the wisdom that Paul imparts in that letter is to say, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. What a powerful phrase, the basis of love. Paul understood the law of Moses better than anyone. Paul had lived his life as a guardian, as an enforcer of these laws, to the point of being there when the apostle Stephen was stoned to death for not obeying those laws. But then Paul encounters the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and his whole understanding of the law turned upside down. Paul became a proponent, an advocate for the compelling power of love. 
that exists in the commandments of God. The laws of Moses call us to love God, neighbor as self, and to do so with every ounce of our being. Now on the surface, this sounds like a prescription that we must do exactly what we're told, but it is highly relational. It requires a give and take all along the way. And this was the life Jesus lived. Jesus never enforced his love. He invited it and he welcomed us to offer love. So if we are to fully grasp God's expectations and this work of love, we must see that it is covenantal, not contractual. And what do I mean by that? We all, under, we all have this understanding of what contracts are, right? In business, we need contracts. They, they teach us how to work together. They, they give us boundaries on, on how we're going to do our business with one another. But contracts also include clauses that if you don't fulfill your obligations, here's how we're going to part way. Here's how we can step away from one another and no longer do business. Now, a covenant's way different as I think of it. A covenant indeed shows us how we live together. It gives us guides on how we love one another. This is love, and let me show what that looks like. But then, in the moments and in the reality that we break covenant, it teaches us how to come back. The covenant restores us. Love compels us to come back to one another and to God. So how does this call live into our life today? How can we live our lives wanting the best for our neighbor and for ourselves and between us? Dare we even ask? I just love the last sentence to this story. We, we, we're told that those of Jesus dared not ask any more questions. Well, what was that about? Well, I have a feeling they didn't want to hear the answer. <laughs> I have a feeling that the answer they were going to get might ask more of them than they were ready to give. And, and I get that. Our, our world and its needs for love are enormous. I read one person to say that there is really too much to care for these days. No, a single person does not have the capacity or the means to love the entire world enough to make all things right again. But that doesn't mean we stop loving because we are in this together, right? Right? If we consider that we all have a calling in our lives to love God and self and neighbor, we don't need to be asked, God, where can I love those today? Because we know that if our love is mutual between you and I, it is also mutual and that we've been called to live it out in the world. So as we leave this place today, remember that if we can all love this way, it is a world changer. Thanks be to God. Amen.